Coming up on this Good Friday edition of Abounding Grace. We believe, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in the God of the second chance. So many of us today have met the God of the second chance, and we receive the grace and mercy that we don't deserve. Do you believe in the God of the second chance? I hope you do. And if you haven't met him yet, I want to introduce you to him today. This is amazing grace. We've all blown it, whether it was a marital failure, a choice to partake in drugs, or watching something on the internet that we really shouldn't have. The good news we bring before you today on Abounding Grace is God loves to give second chances. His heart is to redeem and forgive. So if that's what you're in need of today, we hope you'll keep listening. What you're about to hear is a special message from Pastor Ed Taylor, designed for the Easter season. It's based in Luke chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Great Thing of the Second Chance. You know, the theme of our time this weekend is great things, but I'd like to highlight the great thing of a second chance. You know, everybody seems to love the underdog. It's one of the last remaining virtues, I believe, in our culture. You know, when a man falls and a woman crashes, completely destroys the life that he or she has, there are a few people that are sort of happy about that, but mostly folks are hopeful. They have that attitude in our culture of when you see a person fall and you see them fall hard, you, you rally around them and you cheer for them to get up. And, and it's okay. Failure's not fatal. It's not permanent. And I love that. It's one of the things that still remains. You know, I think of in our recent time, just in the last couple of weeks, I think of a man by the name of Tiger Woods, you know. He had it all. Everything that you would think a man would want. He had fame. He had fortune. He had a family. He had the world's respect. He had it all. That is, until he didn't. His fall was not a small one. And neither was it private. He suffered greatly in a public, humiliating way. He became the fodder of late-night comics and the topic of the water-cooler gossip. And of course, with social media, man, everybody went after him. I was watching, uh, recently, I was watching a video of Tiger Woods. And you know, you don't even need to be someone that follows golf to understand the, the difficulty of this man's life. And they put up a video of all the sports pundits after he, was, after he was discovered and after the difficulties came. And everyone chimed in with their opinion. He'll never make it. He'll never win again. He'll never get up. He's ruined it forever. And they put that one after another. I mean, a lot of people, I didn't even know who they were. One after another after another. Never get up. Never have. Ne he's ruined his life forever. He's lost it all. But on the right side of the, of the video was Tiger hugging his kid after he won 11 years later, the Masters. You know, 
People look at Tiger Woods and maybe you feel this way and go, well, you know what, Eddie brought it upon himself. Isn't it true that every great failure you have experienced, you brought on yourself too? Failure's failure. And when I saw him hug his kids, I saw him hug his son, it reminded me that, you know, his family suffered with him too. The family and the extended family walked alongside of him, and yet, what a story of redemption. Well, what a story of hope. What an encouragement to every other person that has failed, and yet... That's a simple picture within our culture. Do you know the Bible declares that re- there's a greater redemption by faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says that though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And there is a greater hope than simply regaining what you've lost in this culture. We really want to see, I think, those that are struggling, those that are undervalued, those that are underrated, those that are forgotten, those that are hurting, those that have messed up their lives, those that have perhaps even turned their backs on God. We hope to see them win and overcome and get back up. We'd like to see the unfairness corrected, the down and out lifted up. And because of the Christian roots of our particular country, we also love to see those that have fallen and failed Get back up. Get another chance. You know, very few people glory in someone's failure. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Jesus took that one step further and he said this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. We believe, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in the God of the second chance. So many of us today have met the God of the second chance. And we receive the grace and mercy that we don't deserve. Do you believe in the God of the second chance? I hope you do. And if you haven't met him yet, I want to introduce you to him today. Think about this. Wouldn't it be great as you reflect on your life? Wouldn't it be great if you could just start over again? If you could take back some of the things that we've done, that you've done, that you wish you could just erase. The things that you've said that you want to take back. The things that you were involved in. We come to a place in our life sometimes where we wonder, is it even possible to get a do-over? Will I get another chance? I mean, after all, Ed, I've gotten a second or a third chance. When does the number stop counting? I mean, don't you wish there was a delete button for life? You know, when I put my messages together, in the, back in the day, I used to take out a yellow pa- a pad of paper and I'd write it out and then I'd recopy it. And then if I made mistakes, I'd cross it out. But if I made too many mistakes and I had to rip it over and start over. But now, for the last 20 plus years, I just open up my laptop, put a blank document in, in Microsoft Word and I start from scratch. And I begin the title and I start writing things down and I look this up and I put this scripture and I write this comment. And then if I make a mistake, I can just delete a couple letters. I can delete a word. If I make a big mistake or I want to go in a whole different direction, God says, no, I don't want to share this. Share something else. I can actually highlight a whole paragraph and with just one button, start over. Don't you wish there was a delete button for life? (laughs) Or at least a few things in life? 
which she always comes that interesting question. It's kind of a trick question. Someone will come along and you might be sharing part of your life and you, you, uh, they ask you, well, you know, if you could go back and you could change anything, would you? It's a trick question, isn't it? Because, I mean, you think of some of the things that we've done and, and of course, of course I would have rather now with the knowledge I have today, with what, who I know now, of course there are things in my past that I wish I didn't do. But it's a trick question because, you know, I wouldn't change anything if it didn't get me to where I am today. Because I am where I am today. You are where you are by the sum total of all the good and the bad in your life. So, I mean, if it'll still get me here, but I can avoid some of the pain and sorrow or even the pain and sorrow I put on someone else, of course I'd change things. But you know as well as I do, when it comes to our past, when it comes to our past, we're really not able to change. You can't change the past any more than we can unscramble an egg. But you know... Hopefully I can learn from my mistakes and I can learn to avoid those things and those sins that I've committed in the past. You see, according to the Bible, I can be forgiven for the wrongs that I've done and I can get a second chance in life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need a second chance. I mean, you look at your marriage and it's fallen apart. You look at your life and it's scattered and confused. You've made some wrong decisions that led you down a path that you're not happy with. Maybe you find yourself addicted to drugs. You never intended that. You started with something that was legal and it overcame you, began to destroy you. Perhaps you find yourself trapped as an alcoholic. Maybe you're involved in an immoral lifestyle. Maybe you joined a gang or a group of people that have been leading you in a way that is not pleasing to God. Perhaps you're doing none of these things, but you don't like the course of your life. You don't like where you're headed. You're saying it's too late for me to change. I couldn't help but process this in the context of my own life, you know. I don't know, maybe it was 15, 16, or 17, somewhere in that realm where I had made, I had assessed my own life and I had come to the conclusion that my life was far beyond recovery. That I had done so much bad that couldn't be undone. That there was really no hope for me. I had just resolved that I was going to live out my life to the best that I could. Going down that road of partying and getting involved. I just, I just resolved, you know, there's no hope for me. And I'm just going to live it out until I die, which will probably be a lot sooner than anyone ever expected of the course. I mean, I had done so much that I just couldn't undo, and I couldn't recover, and I couldn't erase. And yet I'm grateful that God didn't write me off. I'm grateful that even though you or I come to a place where we don't see any hope for our lives, that hope rests in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he can save anybody, and he can redeem anyone. God is in the business of redemption and saving souls, including yours and mine. And it was at the age of 23 that God invaded my life, changed me forever. Well, we come to this time in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, where he provides the hope that you're looking for. Not only are we looking at greater things, but we are looking at the great thing. 
But you know, we often introduce to great things by going through difficulty. Verse 44 of Luke 23, it says, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. That's a kind way of describing a very difficult time. I mean, first of all, from the Bible's perspective, God wants us to understand that Jesus gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He willingly surrendered and sacrificed his life for you. But there's a lot going on here. Uh, if you were with us on Good Friday, you know that Jesus was viciously beaten before he was put on a Roman cross. And he hung there in a torturous, slow, agonizing death. And so when it says he breathed his last, it's ref reflecting of the finality of the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me. But it also describes, it also describes the reality of those that were surrounding Jesus. You know, Jesus came and he lived on the earth for 30 years, 30 plus years or so. And he spent the last three and a half years of his life loving, serving, caring, healing, feeding. And along the way, he, got, he called people to follow him. And that, there was a select group of people that committed their life to him. We sometimes refer to them as apostles. They, sometimes we refer to them as disciples. There were men and women a part of the disciple group. There were 12 men known as the apostles. There was a large group of people that literally devoted every waking moment with him for three and a half years. And you know, over time, when you spend a lot of time with someone, you go through time and testing, you develop a relationship. So while the Bible does refer to them as disciples and apostles, a better, a better word to describe them was they were his friends. Deep relationship, they were his friends. They had cast their all entire hope into this man. They believed that he was the promised savior they believed that what he said was true. They were simply waiting for him to take control. They were simply waiting for him to rule the world. They were simply waiting for him to fulfill his word. And yet, Jesus told them, Jesus told them that he would die and rise again. Die and rise again. But at this point in time, at this point in time, all they could remember is their loss. And you know, they're not only reflecting on their loss, but they're also having to deal with the reality of their behavior. They made some mistakes. You know, when Jesus was taken away, when he was arrested, the Bible speaks of all of his friends scattering. They all ran away. Now, over time, they came back to watch. They came back to see from a distance. But man, now they're, de they're dealing with regret. They're dealing with sorrow, with grief, with difficulty. There, there is an overwhelming sense of loss in their lives. And that's what that represents, the death of Jesus Christ. But you know also, it represents life. It's an amazing paradox of God that the death of Jesus Christ could provide life to you and forgiveness. He died to provide the forgiveness of our sins. You know, the next time you... You look at someone that failed and say, well, you know, they brought it upon themselves. You look at someone that's failed and go, well, you know, it's the consequences of their own sin. I want you to be reminded of your own failures. I mean, which one among us hasn't failed? Hasn't failed recently? 
You know, there was a time in the life of Jesus where, where they caught a woman in the midst, right in the middle of sexual sin. And they, they grab her and they bring her and they thrust her in front of Jesus. And you know, Jesus says something that, that we all use, many people use in a phrase today, but this is where it comes from. Because as, as they were there and they wanted him to judge her and they wanted it to come down hard on her. And Jesus, he just kind of ignored them, was riding in the dirt there, riding in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. There's a lot of theory of what it was, but as he was riding, he looks up to them and says, well, you know what? If you caught anybody here without sin, you throw the first stone. Go ahead. And as he was writing one more time, everybody started to leave because the revelation of failure is among us all. There isn't any one of us here today that hasn't failed and hasn't failed big. You know, it's God's heart for you to be redeemed. It's God's heart for you to experience forgiveness. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. The proof of God's love for you and me is on the cross. You know, it's another thing that we, we kind of get a different picture of the cross. Most of us are familiar with the crucifix and Jesus hanging on a cross. Sometimes you walk into a, a formal church building and there'll be Jesus hanging up on the cross behind the pulpit there. And, and, and it's actually not a rep, real representation of what the Bible describes Usually you'll see the, the person depicted as Jesus as having a, a, a real toned body and, and his, every, all of his body's intact and he's hanging up on a very smooth cross and nothing could be further from the truth. You see, Jesus, he was beaten before he was put on the cross. Beaten in a process known as scourging. And that would take two Roman soldiers on either side of the man laid out flat that would take a cat of nine tails, which was basically a stick with some leather tongs and bones and metal in it, and, and they, would, they would take with full force and beat this man. One after another, after another, up to 40 times. Boom, boom. You know, the scourging was designed to, to, to have two results, one of two results. One, men would usually just confess. They would just say, I don't want to be beat anymore. Even if they weren't guilty, they would confess so that they would stop the beating, then they'd be crucified. Or men would die under that beating, never make it to the cross. But the Bible says that Jesus endured the full weight of that beating and endured the cross. It was necessary. It was on the cross that he died for all the wrong things, all the wrong thoughts, everything about us, all of our failures and weaknesses, and they took him down off the cross. They put him into a tomb, sealed it up as the rest of chapter 23 says. And, and the, the followers, his friends, went on with life. Which I think we would probably do the same thing. I know we kind of like to look back in the Bible stories and think, well, you know, if I was there, I would have done it differently. Probably not. We probably would have responded the same way. You know, my hope and dreams are there and now he's buried. And, you know, let's just get back to life. It was a great run, three and a half years. I actually see that. I see that in, in a lot of people over the years. You know, being in the same church now here for almost, we're in our 20th year, I've seen a lot of people come and go. Many of them have come and go for very good reasons, but a few of them have gone for really bad reasons. They hit a major trial, a major difficulty, and, and it's caused them to turn their back on God. 
they experience great pain and great grief and they've decided, you know, I don't believe in God anymore and they actually become angry at God. Not understanding that God, he accepts you and the weaknesses. Your anger at God today, perhaps that's you. Your anger at God today, he's not offended by it. He wants to help you process the reality of your life by faith. He doesn't want you to turn away from him. I've seen person after person, I've seen families led astray by dads that have simply decided not to follow God anymore. Not unlike the disciples, except the good news is they stayed close. They stayed close. Because notice in chapter 24 now, in verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which had been prepared. But they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, verse 4, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying... The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And I love verse 8. This is when they remembered his words. He is not here. He's risen. He's alive. See, Jesus promised not only that he would die for the sins of the world, but that he would come back to life. The good news about death is there's always resurrection in Jesus Christ. There's always life in him. And the Bible says, Jesus put it this way, he said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gateway to life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I write to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You need to know that you know today that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Belief, the gateway to life. Jesus paid it all at the cross, and through faith in Him, we can experience life eternal. That's the good news we celebrate on this Good Friday. And thanks for listening to Abounding Grace. What you heard today from Pastor Ed Taylor was a message called, The Great Thing of the Second Chance. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, here we are on Good Friday, and depending on when our listeners hear this, there still may be time to join us for our special service at Calvary Church. And of course, we have some services going on Saturday and Sunday, too. What can you tell us about that? Well, you're right, Larry. If you're listening to this in our morning broadcast, then show up here at noon uh, here at Calvary. And of course, if you're somewhere else in the country or listening to this around the world, uh, I pray blessings upon your worship at your home church, that you would draw near to God, and He would draw near to you. If you're here in the metro area, here in Denver, we're in southeast Aurora, and at noon is our Good Friday service. If you're not able, if you're hearing this in one of the later broadcasts, and you missed our Good Friday service, then join us for our weekend resurrection services. Uh, we've added more services than ever to make room for the people that draw near to worship. So we'll be here at 4 o'clock on Saturday and 6 p.m., 4 and 6 p.m., and then Sunday morning we'll wake up early at 6.45 
845 and 1045. And those will be our resurrection services. They'll be identical. So no matter which one you choose to come to, they will be the same services. The theme of our resurrection service this year is the great I am. Remember, Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. And he didn't just resurrect. He is the resurrection. He is your hope for newness of life. He is your hope for the forgiveness of sins. And we'll be here for five identical services this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, looking forward to all that God would do in and through our celebration this weekend. And listen, listen, please pray for salvations. Please pray for the gospel to go forth in boldness and power in churches around the country, around your community, so that God would do a work in a powerful way. Whether it's in person or online through our live webcast, we hope you'll join us at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. Go to calvaryco.church for more information. Don't miss our next study in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.